I was about to get the fire extinguisher out in that first song. I thought I was going to catch fire back there. You were getting after it on the drums. I like it. I like it. Um, Matt, I wore a little something special for your group tonight. This shirt. You know what I really like about this shirt? Is they make the sleeves small. You notice that? Makes me feel really ripped when I wear this. Because it's loose here and tight here. I had a friend in college who actually would take his t-shirts, he would cut them, and then he would sew them together around his arms so they'd be tighter. It's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of stuff college people do, you know? Just kind of what you guys do. Glad you're here. Um, I'm Charlton Taylor. If you don't know, I preach next door. Um, Sundays at 1030. If you don't have a church home, come join us. We've got a lot of college students who come. We've got a lot of old people who love college students. We've got a lot of middle-aged people, you know, just do what middle-aged people do. But we'd love to have you over there. Come be a part of what we're doing. Um, I think you would be blessed um, being over there as well. Um, yeah, well, let's, let's get to work here. So you guys have been in the, the book of Luke, is my understanding, for this semester. And so just to recap briefly, you know, Luke was a first century Christian, and he writes two, he writes two really stories um, to, uh, to this guy named Theophilus. And he writes to Theophilus because Theophilus is having some doubts. He's a Christian, he believes in Jesus, he's a, he's a Jesus follower, but he's having some doubts. And so Luke writes to him to kind of assure him, you know, he's wondering, is Jesus really who he claims to be? Is he really who his followers claim he is? Is he really who I believe that he is? And so Luke writes to kind of say, hey man, yeah, he's exactly who you think he is. This is the right choice to assure him, to encourage him. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, we see uh, Luke saying this at the very beginning of his his story here. Verse 3, with this in mind, Luke says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, to give him some assurance. So if you're doubting tonight, people have doubted from the beginning. Don't worry about it, right? If you're doubting, I hope that, Luke, this, this semester has been encouraging to you, been assuring to you about the truth of Jesus Christ. Luke was a physician. Um, he did not know Jesus personally. He was not one of his original followers. So he started investigating, started doing interviews, talking to people who actually did know Jesus. And out of that came out with these two volumes. One called Luke about the life of Jesus. The second called Acts about kind of the birth and the growth of the early church. And so that's Luke. We're going to be at the very end of Luke. If you have a Bible and like to follow along, if you have an app and want to click along, uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be, but it'll all be up there as well. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, Thank you uh, for these college students who are here, um, given time out of their busy schedules, busy time of the semester. There's a lot going on, a lot of demands on their time, but they've chosen to be here. And God, I pray you bless uh, just them setting aside this time to be in your presence, to be with other believers and seekers, to worship, to listen, to grow. And so I pray that you honor that and that you open our hearts uh, to the truth of Easter tonight here in the middle of November. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, if you're in the last part of Luke, then you have to talk about Easter. So tonight we're going to celebrate Easter. And, 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 you know, because Easter really isn't about Easter bunnies and chocolate eggs or a bunny that brings egg, eggs, which I never really understood that anyway. I don't know if he, like, brings them or if he actually, like, gives birth to them, which is a pretty terrifying idea. Like, you, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and they're, like, squatting on your kitchen table as a giant bunny, like, birthing a chocolate egg that you plan to eat. That's weird, right? But, you know, 
But it's not about that, right? Easter is actually about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is my favorite thing to talk about. It is my favorite day of the year. So this is good. This is fun. Um, so if, if we're going to, but if we're going to talk, and why, why Easter? Like, if, because if there was no Easter, there would be no Christianity. If there was no Easter, we wouldn't be here. Because Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ. By the way, Christ wasn't his last name. Christ is a title, it's a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Jesus, his followers thought that he was the Messiah, that he was the anointed one, which is a title used of kings in the Old Testament, right? They're the anointed one of God to lead God's people. And the expectation was that a Messiah would come around and that, he, that God would raise up a Messiah, an anointed one, a Christ, who would lead Israel into rebellion against Rome, overthrow Rome, and reestablish Israel as the dominant kingdom in the world. And so Jesus' followers thought that's who he was going to be. And then he died. Well, so much for that. Because every time a Messiah died, guess what happened to their movement? It died with it. Every time. Judas, Simon Bargiora, Simon Bar Kochbar. Those are, I mean, you can go read in the historical books. These were self proclaimed messiahs. And there were people just like Jesus who gathered around them and, and, and you know, said, This is the guy, this is the guy who's going to lead us against Rome. And when they died, so did their movement. Everybody ran away. And when Jesus dies, guess what most of his disciples do? They run away. When Jesus goes to the cross, he is alone. It, it's history repeating itself. He goes to die and everybody leaves. A few of them gather, you know, after his death in this room, probably to cry and probably be like, well, that was great. We just wasted three years of our life falling around this fake Messiah. What are we going to do now? And then all of a sudden, something really weird happens with the movement of Jesus. It becomes more popular after his death. It grows more after his death. His followers become more convinced that he is the Messiah after his death. During his life, they typically called him rabbi or teacher. After his death, they were pretty certain he was the Messiah. They were more committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and his teachings after his death, which you don't see that anywhere in the history of Messiahs. What happened? The resurrection is what happened. They saw him alive. If he had stayed dead, they never would have kept following him. His message and his mission would have died with him. The only reason they continued with the message and the mission of Jesus was because of the resurrection. The only reason you and I are sitting here is because of the resurrection. Thousands of people died on crosses. One was resurrected. And that's made all the difference. You see, resurrection isn't just a pivot, isn't just a pivot or the center of the Christian faith. It's also the lens through which we view the future. It's also the lens through which we view the future. And by the future, I don't mean after you die. I mean the future here on earth. Your future. The resurrection is the lens through which you view and interpret your future. But in order to understand that, we have to talk about what the resurrection is not. And Luke's going to help us do that. So here in the very end of Luke, Jesus, you know, he's been raised from the dead, and he's walking along. There's a couple of his followers walking along the road, and they're talking about Jesus and everything that's happened, and all of a sudden Jesus joins them on this road trip. And they don't recognize him at first, and then he kind of reveals to them who he is, and like their minds explode. And so after they pick up, you know, the pieces of their head, they head in, and the first thing they do is they find the other disciples, and they're like, hey, guess what? We saw Jesus. He's alive. 
And in the middle of telling these people about Jesus, the other disciples, that Jesus is alive, look at what happens here. Chapter 24, verse 36. While these two guys were still talking about this with the other disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there. I kind of wonder if he, you know, and then it says, peace be with you. I wonder if he kind of went, peace be with you. You know, kind of like a little bit creepy. Then they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And I love their reaction, right? Jesus appears, who they thought is dead. And their reaction isn't like, oh, Jesus, bring it in, bring it in. Oh, I mean, that's not their reaction. The reaction is, ah! they're scared. They're ter- in fact, the word is better translated, not startled, but terrified. And it conjures up this image from the Old Testament of how Israel felt when God appeared for the first time. Moses, Moses, you know, you may have seen, you know, Prince of Egypt or whatever, goes in, he takes these Israelite slaves out of Egypt, he leads them through the desert, he takes them to this mountain, because on this mountain, God's going to come down, and when he comes down, he's going to make this this covenant with them, this kind of marriage ceremony. I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. And when God comes down in Exodus chapter 20, it says there was fire and smoke and lightning, and then, like the sound of a trumpet just wailing. And when he comes down, here's how the people react. I mean, that's got to be pretty amazing. God coming down, breaking into the physical realm. That was a big spit I just shot out of my mouth. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. This is their reaction when they see God coming down. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed a distance and they said to Moses, Hey, 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 look, you speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But whatever you do, I mean, (laughs) do not have God speak to us or we're going to die. They were terrified, and that's how the disciples react when they see Jesus. When they see Jesus appear, they're not like, hey, Jesus. What they think they're seeing is a ghost, is a disembodied entity, right? A disembodied spirit. Like the, That's what they think they're seeing, a ghost. And there's precedent of this. In the Old Testament, King, uh, King, uh, King Saul, right? He, he's going to battle against some of the, their normal enemies, these guys called the Philistines, and he wants to know if God's going to give him the victory. So he goes to his prophets. He's kind of like, you know, his advisors. He says, hey, is God going to give me this victory? And they don't have an answer for him. So he takes matters into his own hand, and he goes to visit a witch. It's my favorite, one of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible, the witch of Endor. If I'm going to write a book, that's going to be the title, even if it has nothing to do with it. The witch or the medium of Endor. 1 Samuel chapter 28, this is what happens. So Saul, the king, disguised himself putting on other clothes. Think she'll recognize me in these skinny jeans? And at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the, the woman, the witch, said to him, uh, surely you know this, what Saul has done. Right? She doesn't recognize him yet. He's cut off all the mediums and spiritists from the land, like he's outlawed this kind of stuff. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Like you're just trying to trick me. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives... You will not be punished for this. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? Who am I going to contact from the dead? Um, and he, sa- and she, he says, Bring up Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, so apparently she did something because there's Samuel, the dead guy, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Then the king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked, an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. This is what the disciples think they see. 
Because you see, there were a lot of Jews. There were, there, the Jews were kind of split in Jesus' day, which would include his followers, about what happens after you die. A lot of Jews did not believe there was any such thing as a resurrection. That when you died, your spirit, some kind of spirit, disembodied spirit, left your body and lived in some kind of semi-conscious state in some kind of underworld. Half asleep in some kind of underworld. And you could, you could, you could wake someone from this semi-conscious state and bring them back to earth. But it was very, very dangerous, which is what happens here with Samuel. And I think that's what they think they're seeing. Is that Jesus has been waking up from this semi-conscious state and he's appearing to them. They think they're seeing a ghost. And so Jesus is like, come on, man. I'm not a ghost. Look at his response here in chapter 24, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why are you so scared, guys? Why do your doubts rise in your minds? He's like, look at my hands. Huh? Look at my feet. I, you know, can a spirit do this? You know, can a ghost do this? When a wet willy, you know, look, you can touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And he's like, guys, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a disembodied spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm a body. I'm physically here. I'm present. So if we're going to talk about the resurrection as Christians understand it. Here's the first thing we got to understand. The resurrection is a belief not in the continued spiritual existence of Jesus, but in the physical and bodily existence of Jesus. I think we have a slide for that. The resurrection is a belief not in the continued spiritual existence of Jesus, but in the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus. That the resurrection is physical. He had a physical body. And that's important. That's important because the resurrection is not just saying, hey, after you die, you're going to keep living. It's not saying there's just, you know, something past death. There's an afterlife. That was already believed on many levels. What the resurrection says is, I'm reversing death. I'm undoing death. And that's a different thing than just living after death. Undoing death. But it wasn't just a resuscitation, Right? It wasn't just a resuscitation. Because that's what the other half of the Jews believed. That one day, everybody who's dead, God would put their bodies back together. They would come back to life. And they would establish Jerusalem as the center of the world. And reestablish Israel as the main nation in the world. That was, that was the other view. right? But it was a resuscitation. A lot of kind of what you see in Ezekiel chapter 37. This, this crazy scene with one of the prophets. You've heard of the Valley of Dry Bones. Listen to this. This is a resuscitation, the idea of probably what a lot of people had in terms of resurrection. Chapter 37, uh, verse 4. God takes this prophet and he puts him in the middle of this valley where the bones are so dead and so old that the word dry means the maggots are gone. And when there's nothing for the maggots to eat, that's dead. Okay, that's how these bones are. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You talk about, no, that would be a really lame joke. I was going to say, you talk about a dead audience. <laughs> this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons of flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, and as he commanded me, and breath entered them, they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, right? Resuscitation. You know, you're on the table, you flatline, beep, 
You start moving towards, you know, the light in the distance at the end of the tunnel. Right? Clear! And everything kicks back in. Right? I was dead and I'm alive now. That's not the resurrection. It's not a resuscitation. Here's what I would say about that. The resurrection of Jesus was not a resuscitation of his old body, but a transformation to a new one. It wasn't a resuscitation of his old body. It was a transformation to the new. It wasn't like he was like mostly dead in the tomb and then he, uh, something woke him up and he came back to life or somebody went in there and did CPR. No, he, his body was transformed. He still had marks somehow from his old body, but I think that's one reason people don't recognize Jesus right off after the resurrection. I think there was something different about his body. It was a transformed body. So when we start putting these things together about the resurrection of Jesus, right? What we realize is this, is that the resurrection is not simply that there's an afterlife. The resurrection is not simply that, that it's not simply just a reversal of death. It's not simply that you're just coming back to life. It's not simply that there is life after death. The resurrection is the undoing of death. It is the dismantling of death. That's the resurrection. That's the resurrection. The resurrection is when God takes the ugliest face of sin. That's death. It's the poster child for sin. You don't know the world is broken? People die. All right? It is the ugliest face of sin. It's the resurrection is when God takes the ugliest faith, faith of, face of sin and he makes it into something beautiful. That's the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a promise of the afterlife. It's a promise of new life, and that's different. Not a promise of the afterlife, a promise of new life that God is renewing and undoing everything that is wrong with the entire cosmos. That's different. That's the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a promise of an escape from this world. It is a promise of a transformation of it. Listen to the difference. The resurrection is not a promise of an escape from this world, but a transformation of this world. If God can transform death, then he is transforming this world, renewing, remaking, recreating. The resurrection isn't God saving Jesus from death. The resurrection is God, excuse my French, using the resurrection as a tool to beat the living crap out of death. That's what he's doing. The resurrection is the death of death. It's not just rescuing Jesus from it. It's the end of it. And if God can undo death, then he can undo anything. That's the message of the resurrection. And that's why at the end of Luke, Jesus, that's the message Jesus wants his followers to take to the world. Look at what he says. Verse 45. Then Jesus opened their minds so they understood the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Come on, guys. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What things? What did they see that other people hadn't seen? That he's alive. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So what does the resurrection mean today? What does it mean to those of you who've lost loved ones this year? What does it mean to those of you who've come out of just horrible, broken relationships or you're in the middle of one that just nothing good about it, but you don't know how to get out of it? What does it mean for those of you just overwhelmed with loneliness and fear and anxiety? What does it mean for those of you who are addicted to all kinds of different stuff? What does it mean? What does it mean for those of you who are just consumed with, with greed and success and productivity and careers? 
What does it mean? It means change. It means transformation. It means new life. It means that that's possible, not just after you die, not just 10 years from now, but that that change can begin right here, right now. Why? Because death has been defeated. And if death has been defeated, come on. Everything else is small stuff. Small stuff. God, if God can create something ugly out of death, whatever ugliness it is in your life, He can make something beautiful out of that. The resurrection means look again. Everybody said, mm, Jesus is dead. God said, look again. Some say, oh, so-and-so is alcoholic. Resurrection says, look again. Some say, oh, man, that guy, is, that girl's just messed up. Resurrection says, look again. It means our circumstances, people in our lives and the world around us, it means we have to look twice. I love this quote from Jonathan Merritt's book, Jesus is Better. Here's what he says about looking twice or looking again. He says, following Jesus means learning to look not once, but twice. A woman with teased hair and a painted-on dress stands at the corner of Main Street and 3rd Avenue, and I think, prostitute. But look again through the lens of the resurrection, and I see a mother reconciled with children she's been neglecting, working to rescue women from the sex industry. Or, a man sleeps on the stairs of the downtown theater, and I think, psh, drunk. A second look, a look through the resurrection, and I see a man who's been sober for 20 years leading the Wednesday night AA class at the local church. Or I see a teenager who stands outside of the movie theater with a group of old friends poking fun at a passerby, and I think, troublemaker. But then I look again through the lens of the resurrection, and I see a man who volunteers at a home for troubled children. The resurrection invites us to look again. If you had looked at my marriage five and a half years ago, you would have said, that thing is over. That is a mess. You don't come back from that. But I'll tell you today, I don't have a perfect marriage because I'm not perfect and my wife, she's close, but she's not perfect either. And so that means it can't be a perfect marriage. I think we have a great marriage. I'll put our marriage up against anybody's. None of it's competition, but I would. But five and a half years ago, it wasn't. What happened? Resurrection happened. Because if God can undo death, he could handle my marriage. And he did. And he did. Jan and Gordon. Gordon lost his wife to cancer late in life. His... His, uh, his kids were grown and gone, so he was kind of alone. Not, not a guy who didn't really know how to cook for himself and stuff. You know, kind of a helpless guy in that sense. He could build anything, but he's just kind of a helpless, sad guy with his wife gone. He depended on her for a lot. And there was this lady, Jan, in our church, too. And, and Jan was one of those ladies that she lost her husband, you know, in an emergency, you know, in kind of this way she never would have expected several years earlier and she'd been living as a widow pretty sad her kids were grown and gone too kind of lonely so she just you know if you looked at me like man this is gonna be a sad existence you know they've lost the love of their life they gotta live the last part of their life alone kind of sad you know not not have anybody to walk with but then Jen began just to kind of help Gordon with some things around the house during his grief something happened mm-hmm and they got married 
So here they are. It's probably not a life they ever would have thought. It's not their old life, but it's a new life. Look again. Well, then there's Deborah. Deborah's one of my favorite people. She doesn't walk too well. She has a hard time with bad knees. She's not real healthy, mainly because she drank alcohol a lot for a long time. She's an alcoholic. Never heard of God in her life. And then one day, because she'd ruined relationships with her kids and just messed up her health, she decides to go to AA. And just happened, that just happens to meet in our church building. It's not our program, just happens to meet in our church building. And someone in that AA meeting who attended our church invites Deborah to our church, and Deborah starts coming. This is how new she was the week before Easter when we're advertising it at church. Afterwards, she grabs me and she goes, Oh, what's Easter? That's how new she was. My favorite baptism was Deborah. <laughs> like the whole time, just giddy. And then a year later, I got to stand at the baptistry while she baptized one of her friends because she invited more people to church than anybody in that entire church. And you could have looked at her a few years ago and go, well, that lady is a drunk, unhealthy, sad woman. Look again. Jesus says, no, that's going to be your best evangelist in your church. The resurrection invites us to look again. The resurrection invites us to look again. Hope, change, new life. Some of you are in the midst of that right now. You're in the midst of a mess. <laughs> Some of the mess you created because of your choices. Well, that's what sin does. It creates a mess. That's, that's just what it does. Some of you are in a mess because of the sins of other people, because our sins affect other people and other people's sins affect us. So you're just suffering consequences of people around you and their sins. Some of you are just suffering because you're living in a world that isn't right yet. So because of that, bad things happen. People die. People get sick. So maybe you're at that place today. The resurrection says, hey, look again. Look again. You don't have to stay there. Because if God really did undo death, if he really did beat the snot out of death through the resurrection, then whatever you have going on, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but whatever you have going on in your life, he can conquer that too. So if you begin to believe that, if you begin to be really convinced about that, then you start taking steps in that direction. You start making choices in that direction. You start surrounding yourself with people who push you in that direction. You start moving in that direction because you begin to see the future through the lens of the resurrection and not of despair and brokenness and death. So we're going to sing a song here in a minute. And during this song, if you want to pray, there'll be some folks at the back to pray with you. I'll be back there as well if you want to pray. But the rest of us, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate in this last song. Because that's how the book of Luke ends. Because that's how, the only way there is to respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at this. This is how he ends the book. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven into the skies. And here's the response, right? Then they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. 
because that's the only response to the death of death is great joy, celebration, worship. Let's pray, and then we'll celebrate together. God, thank you so much for Easter, not just in November, not just in the spring, but as a reality of everyday life. God, if Jesus really is alive, then help us to trust that. Not just trust our future with that, but to trust our present with that. And God, for people here today who are suffering, who are hurting, who are just consuming sin, God, let them know they don't have to stay in despair and fear and anxiety and guilt and in shame. The resurrection is a message of change, of hope, of new life. That that can begin today. And maybe it's naming it today. Maybe it's confessing it today. Maybe it's just asking for prayers today. Maybe it's grabbing somebody for coffee after tonight and just talking with them about it. Maybe it's opening your word for the first time tonight. I don't know. So ways of stepping into the truth of the resurrection. God, I pray that we can live out of that more and more every day. That become more of a reality of our life. That we can practice the resurrection. Thank you for that. Thank you that death has been defeated. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.